Let's go to 1 Samuel chapter 18. 1 Samuel chapter 18. I wanna talk to you about confidence today. Um, I really believe that one of the things we need as fathers is confidence. Uh, not, not arrogance, we need confidence. And uh, I think one of the things that really is plaguing not just men in our culture, uh, but people in general, is insecurity and a lack of confidence. And I'm not talking about confidence in the flesh. I'm not talking about looking at yourself in the mirror and saying good things about yourself. I'm talking about a confidence that comes from being in relationship with our good, good Father, our Heavenly Father, and knowing Him through the blood and fellowship of His Son, Jesus. And I think that's where true confidence comes from, because when things in the world don't line up, and when our bank accounts don't line up, and when our experience doesn't line up, we can always fall back into the arms of the Savior who loves us and a Father who cares for us, and we can remain confident that in anything I'm going through and everything I'm going through, God is still for me. He's not against me. He still loves me. Somebody hasn't given up on me. Are you thankful for that today? I, I don't know if you've ever been in a place in your life where you felt like everybody had given up on you, but God will never leave you. He'll never forsake you. He will never throw in the towel on your life. You don't become too much for him. He is always connected to you, and we're thankful for that today. And so we celebrate. Uh, thank you for being a dad, but I'm grateful for our Heavenly Father. Is anybody in the room thankful for our Heavenly Father today? Who even on our best days, he's better than us. Our best days are evil, the Bible says. If we being good know how to give good gifts to our children, then how much more does our Heavenly Father know how to give good gifts, in particular the Holy Spirit? to them that ask. Uh, I don't care what you got for Father's Day, it's not a better gift than the Holy Spirit. And I don't care what you get for Christmas, it's not a better gift than the Spirit of God in your life, and I'm thankful for that. So 1 Samuel chapter 18, I'm gonna start in verse six, and I'm gonna read through uh, verse 16, and I'm reading from the New Living Translation. So if you wanna follow along, you can on our screens. If not, it's all good. You can just read from your Bible, your translation, however you wanna do it. 1 Samuel chapter 18 and verse six. This is what the Bible says. I love this story. When the victorious Israelite army was returning home after David had killed the Philistine, women from all over the towns of Israel came out to meet King Saul. They sang and danced for joy with tambourines and cymbals. And this was their song. Saul has killed his thousands and David his ten thousands. This made Saul very angry what is this, he said. They have credited David with 10,000s and me only with thousands. Next, they'll be making him their king. So from that time on, Saul kept a jealous eye on David. The very next day, a tormenting spirit from God overwhelmed Saul, and he began to rave in his house like a madman. David was playing the harp as he did each day, but Saul had a spear in his hand, and he suddenly hurled it at David, intending to pin him to the wall, but David escaped him twice. Saul was then afraid of David, for the Lord was with David and had turned away from Saul. Finally, Saul sent him away and appointed him commander over a thousand men, and David faithfully led his troops into battle. David continued to succeed in everything he did, for the Lord was with him. When Saul recognized this, he became even more afraid of him. But all of Israel and Judah loved David because he was so successful at leading his troops into battle. Let's pray. Father, in Jesus' name, we thank you for this incredible moment we have together. And we're asking that today you would speak a word into our lives 
that would challenge us and change us so that we would never be the same. God, we wanna leave this place different than how we came in. Thank you for bringing us here, and thank you that you love us as you find us, but your love is too good to leave us there. And so we thank you, God, that your desire is to take us from glory to glory and from strength to strength today. In Jesus' name we pray, and everybody shouted amen. 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 Saul was insecure. Saul was insecure. Saul was not the only insecure person in the Bible. Um, the Bible is full of insecure people who God used. I think sometimes we, part of our insecurity is that we think that God wouldn't use us because of something or because we went through something. If you look at the Bible, God used a bunch of unhealthy people. <laughs> um, Elijah was insecure. Moses was insecure. Saul was insecure. David was insecure. Insecure leaders are all throughout scripture. But God doesn't want us to stay insecure because insecurity is an enemy to our success. It's an enemy to our fruitfulness. Um, David's wife, for instance, she was insecure. And part of her insecurity came from her father, her father who was Saul. One day David is coming into town and he is worshiping God with all of his heart and he's worshiping so hard that his outer garment falls off and he's still got some undergarments on but she's embarrassed by this and he gets into the house and she looks at him and says, how, how, are, you, how are you gonna act like that in front of everybody? You're an embarrassment. And he looks back at her and he says, hey listen, I don't care if you don't like it, I'm gonna get even wilder than this. The Bible says something that's so uh, so so horrifying in her story. It says, from that day forward, she was, she was barren. She was fruitless. She, she, her insecurity caused her to be fruitless. Insecurity is your enemy. It's more than just an emotion you feel. It's more than just a bad moment you had. Insecurity comes if you're not careful, your position or even disposition, and it affects the way you see and act. It can rob you of the power of relationships. It can limit you in your leadership. It can build barriers where there aren't really truly any barriers. It can cause you to assume things about people and things that shouldn't even be assumed. But you find yourself in this insecure place, not by accident, but because of the small choices that you have made, and now you have a habit that you didn't even consciously form. Have you ever, um, have you ever like consistently lost something? Like I lose my keys all the time. I lose, I, I, I cannot, I can't ever find my keys. And if I do find them, it's because Monica put them in the place where she designated that I should put my keys so that I don't lose my keys. And before you get to thinking that Monica is better than me, let me just explain to you how this past week on vacation, Monica lost her cell phone at least 37 times this week. I had to ping her phone so many times that my battery died just from pinging her phone. And maybe three hours on Instagram, but it was mostly <laughs> from pinging her phone. And the reason we lose something is because we, 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 we misplace it, right? We, we don't know where we 
put it or we can't remember where we put it because where we put it, we put it in such an inconsistent place that we never know where to look for it. And, and, and the reason Monica buys the little shelf with the little hooks on it is because if I walk in the door, I walk in the same door every day. If I would walk in the same door and do the same thing with my keys every day, I would always know where my keys are. And, and the reason we lose confidence is because we misplace our confidence. We put it in so many different things that we never know where it is. And we wonder, where is my confidence? Where is my security? But the problem is, is you haven't been putting it in a consistent place. So now it's, now it's lost. And you're trying, to, you're trying to get people who, who didn't put it where you put it tell you where it is. And then what happens is, is, is if you misplace stuff uh, for, for a very long period of time, you start to believe the problem isn't you. You start to believe other people are touching your stuff. Have you, have you ever gotten mad at the kids for the remote control you lost? Like, and especially if you, lo- you lose that little Apple TV remote. You ever lose that Apple TV remote? And that thing is the hardest thing in the world to find. And you're blaming the kids. And you're blaming the dog. The dog must have ate it. The dog must have took it outside. Something, the, Monica, you must have taken it and moved it. And, and, and everybody's like, I didn't touch it. I wasn't the last person sitting there eating Doritos, drinking Mountain Dew. Look, there's chips on the couch. That was you. It's you. You misplaced it. So we start to blame others for stuff we misplaced. Did you touch my, did you, did you touch my wallet? Did you, get in, did you move my phone? Did you borrow my... And, and, and the only way to defeat the enemy of insecurity is confidence. But you can only have confidence if you know where it is. So you have to put it in the same place consistently. This is a habit that you must develop. Can I tell you, you're not going to come to church and be in a service and all of a sudden get zapped with confidence. You're not going to come to church and be in a service and all of a sudden you're going to come to the altar and somebody's going to lay hands on you and you're going to say, all my insecurities are gone. All my anxieties are gone. All my self-doubt is gone. And here I am. I'm the most confident creature on the planet. No, you're not going to do that. Confidence is developed through habits. Because watch this. You may have been born looking like your father, but you will die looking like your decisions. Confidence is my responsibility. I have to put it in the right place. I have to put it consistently in God. Now watch this. How do I, how do I consistently put my confidence in God? Can I tell you this? First thing, stop praying as a last resort. Pray as a first response. Yeah, you, you go ahead, that's, that's good. Somebody needs to hear that today. Because you stop praying. You stop asking God about everything. Some of you, when you first got saved, you were talking to God about every decision you made. You were asking God about everything. You were asking God about where you should go eat later in the day. Like, you were that intense about your prayer. You were asking God about every relationship. Should this person be in my life? Are they good for me? Is this healthy for me? You were asking God about everything. Should I go to this church? Should I be a part of this community? You were asking God about, should I park here? I mean, you were intense. Like, you were asking God about everything. You were praying before all of your meals. 
You were praying about everything. When the doors opened, you were the first person through. You were, you were seeking him first. And watch, all of these things were being added unto you. But sometimes when you've been with God a minute, you start to think that you don't need to pray about everything. When the Bible teaches that prayer is something that we do not cease to do. It's not an option in our life. It can't be the red phone we pick up that has a direct line to the president and we need it. It's an emergency situation. It cannot be the 911 call we make. It must be the first response in our life. We must develop a habit of saying, God, what is your thought on this? What do you have to say about this? And the way I establish that as a priority and a habit is I do it first. I do it first. Anything you do first and you do it consistently enough, it becomes a priority. It becomes a habit in your life. You get up, you, you stumble your way. You could, if you were blind, find your way to the coffee machine. Why? Because it's the first thing you do when you wake up. You could, if you were blind, find your way to the bathroom or the bathtub or the shower. Why? Because you've developed such a habit and your body is so used to it that it's just the natural thing you do. Why is prayer not natural for us? It's not natural for us because it's not habitual for us. If it were habitual for us, it wouldn't be unnatural for us. We wouldn't feel uncomfortable when we're supposed to pray. We wouldn't wonder, what am I supposed to say? We wouldn't wonder, hey, is God okay with this? Is God into this? Because we would know because we didn't cease to pray. And some of you right now, you, you, are, you are lacking in confidence because you stopped asking God. And now you don't have confidence in your decisions because you're wondering, is God even in this? Pray about everything. Everything. Uh, Robbie, should, should, I, should, I pray about, should I pray about who I'm going to marry? Uh, yeah, but I would encourage you to pray before you, even, before you even give them your phone number. You're like, that's just, that's, just, that's just a little over the top. I mean, that's just a little too spiritual. When have you ever been too spiritual? Can we just be honest? When have you ever been? Oh, I'm just, I just, that's just, too, that's just too spiritual. When have we ever been too spiritual? When, when was the last time you saw dead people getting up? When was the last time you saw blinded eyes open? When was the last time you saw deaf ears open? When was the last time you saw cancer dissolve? We are not too spiritual. If anything, we are not spiritual enough. Our lack of power, our lack of connection with God is a lack of prayer. A lack of confidence. The reason why you don't know if I lay hands on the sick, will they recover is you haven't talked to God lately. You don't know. Is God even going to listen to this prayer? Is God even going to hear? Is God even going to respond? Is God going to act on my behalf? You would have more confidence if you would seek him first. So the reason your confidence is gone is because you misplaced it. You put it in the wrong place. So in order to develop confidence, you have to begin to put your confidence in the right place. Let me give you a couple of scriptures. Hebrews chapter 13 and six says, so we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear what man can do to me. Yeah. Hebrews 10, 35 says, therefore do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward. Listen, anytime you put your confidence in anything but God, you have thrown away your confidence. Right. Whenever, you, whenever the first priority of your time, 
your money, your relationships is anything but God, you've basically thrown it away. If you take your marriage and you put it into anybody else's hands but God's, you've thrown it away. If you take your money and you put it into anybody else's hands but God's, you've thrown it away. If you take your kids and you put them into anybody else's hands but God's, you've thrown them away. You've discarded it. You've misplaced it. You've put it in the wrong place. And pretty soon you're gonna be wondering, where is it? Where is my marriage? Where is my money? Where are my kids? Man, that's good. That's good. Proverbs 29 and 25 says, the fear of man lays a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is safe. When I put my confidence in God, it's like putting it into a safe that cannot be cracked open by men. They can't get the code. They can't, they can't break this safe. George Clooney and his Ocean's Eleven, they can't get into this one. It is safe. But if I put my confidence in you, it ain't safe. It's just not. You know why I know? Because you're human, just like me. If you put yours in me, it's not safe. So how about we do this? How about we stop putting our confidence in our money, in our positions, in our titles, in our degrees, come on, in our cars, in our houses, in our how about we start putting all of our confidence in the only place that it is safe, and that is in the Lord. Put it in a place where the Bible says moth and the rust, they can't eat away at it. There it's safe, it doesn't, it doesn't decay there. It doesn't rot away there. Have you, uh, have you noticed that even the documents that they wrote that formed our country, they, they, you go to Washington and you go and look at them and they're in safe places, but even in, in those environments, they are still deteriorating. Because no, no thing that man has formed is truly safe. 2008, you thought your money was safe. You, you, thought the, you thought the equity in your home was safe. It wasn't. You thought the interest rates were safe. None of that stuff is ever safe. I'm gonna go ahead and put it, my confidence in one who the Bible says he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. I'm not gonna wake up tomorrow and be like, what's God's mood today? But with you? <laughs> I don't know what I'm gonna get. So I'm gonna put it in the right place. Second thought, find a father. Amen. And the reason I say find a father is because for most of you, you, you might not have a good relationship with your natural father. You might not have any type of relationship with your natural father. He might have left you. He might have died early. He might have abandoned your mom. You might not even know who he was or even have an idea of where he lives. You have no access to him. So for some people, you have to find a father. Yeah. And I, I've got, I've got some sort of, I got a problem with people who act like fathers don't matter. Because to act like a father doesn't matter is to disregard the tone and tenor of the entirety of Scripture. To take this kind of gender-neutral position that, that, that it doesn't matter if someone has a father and a mother is to really look at the Bible and say, be gone with you. We don't care what you have to say. 
We don't care how God designed the whole thing and set the whole thing up. We don't care how God's order works. We're gonna do it our way. See, because what we have done is we have taken our situation and we have acted like our situation is God. We're acting like our circumstance is God. We're acting like our opinion is God. We're acting like what our heart feels is God. And it is not God. God is God. Let God be true and every man a liar. What are you calling people who disagree with the Bible and act like their opinion is, is true? I'm calling them liars. That's what you are. Every time you disagree with God's word, you know what you are? You're a liar. I didn't say it, God said it. You can get mad at me all you want. You can hate the messenger all you want, but I'm just repeating what God said. You don't hate me, you're not mad at me, you're mad at God. Fathers are imperative. They are necessary. They are. And watch this, if you don't have one, you need to find one. You need to find somebody who is a father figure, a male figure, a man. I don't, do I need to make it more clear? Like a male figure, not an athletic mother, not, not a mom with a deep voice, a man. Do we believe the Bible or not? So. I'm not trying to be offensive, but I am. Because what I, what I, I'm not trying to make you upset, but I am. Because you, if you don't believe the Bible, then why are you wasting your time following Jesus? Stop wasting his time and your time. Create your own religion, but don't call it Christianity. Create your own belief system, but don't call it the Bible. Okay, okay. I'm just trying to tell you, you need fathers in your life. The Bible says you have many teachers, but very few fathers. They're important in your life. And if you don't have a natural father that you can lean on, then you need to, you need to find a spiritual or a father figure in your life. You know why you need it? Because Jesus needed it. And you're not better than Jesus. Jesus needed a father figure. Jesus needs the Father. The Bible said when Jesus was being baptized, that when he was being baptized, the heavens opened, and the Father said from heaven, this is my Son, in whom I am well pleased. Do you know why fathers are necessary? Because fathers and affirmation, fathers and identity, fathers and a lack of fear Confidence and security are connected. Can I tell you, you can't affirm yourself. And I, I love, I love the, I love the, the, the gurus and the, the, the self-help coaches and the people who tell you, hey, hey, you need to wake up every day and you need to look yourself in the mirror and you need to say, you matter. You are somebody. You're important. Can I tell you, you are wasting your time. <laughs> Why? Because you don't believe the person saying it. Because if you believe the person that was saying it, you wouldn't need to say it. 
The reason you need to say it is because you don't believe it about yourself. So you have to have yourself say it, but you don't even believe yourself when you say it to yourself. You are awesome. Well, if I was awesome, I wouldn't need to tell me I was awesome. And I don't even... That, that, that self-help stuff, it only goes so far. You need more than self-help. You need more than a positive attitude about yourself. You need more than self-confidence. You need God-confidence. You need confidence in the one who created you and made you, formed and fashioned you. You need to hear from heaven, that's my son and I am pleased with him. And you need somebody in the earth that looks at you and says, you are special. You do matter, not you. Don't, don't be your own positive influence. Don't be your own affirmation. You can't affirm yourself because you don't believe anything you're saying. You don't. If you believed it, you wouldn't have to say it. You matter. No, I don't believe you. You're a liar. You need a father figure to say to you. And this is where, this is where church is very important. It's where the house of God is very important. This is where mentorship programs are very important. This is where big brother programs and all of this stuff, these types of things are very important. You need a positive male role model in your life that will look at you and say, you matter. Whether you like that or not, it doesn't matter. You need it. Jesus needed it. Jesus needed it. Why? Because Jesus was getting ready to go into a wilderness and be tempted by the devil. And the first thing that the devil was going to tempt Jesus with was his sonship. Who was his dad? Hmm. But he knew who he was. Why? Because his dad told him. I know who I am because my dad told me. You know what? I appreciate, I appreciate the amens. I appreciate the feedback. I appreciate the tweets. I appreciate the Instagram posts. I appreciate the likes. I appreciate all that. But can I tell you, if you didn't say a thing after this service, you know who's going to text me? My dad. He ain't even going to listen to the message. He's going to say, you did a good job. I'm like, dad, you're in Hawaii. You're on a plane right now. You didn't even hear it. But I know, son. I know. You did good today. You need somebody like that in your life. And when that, when that person dies or moves on, you have to find a replacement. One of my dear friends, Judah Smith, his dad passed away years ago from cancer. He said, Rob, the thing I had to do immediately was I had to find somebody that was a father figure to me. So he, he called Brian Houston. He said, will you, will you pastor me? Will you father me? That's a very humble thing to do, but you've got to do it. You need a father in your life. You need a father in your life. Everybody needs someone who's gonna look at them that way. Why? Because affirmation is important to your development. You can act like you don't need it, but the people who are saying, I don't need anybody. I don't need anybody to tell me I'm great. I don't need anybody to love me. I'm good all by myself. You're the very person who isn't good all by yourself, who desperately wants people to love them. And the only reason you say that is because you are desperate and hungry for it. I'm good by myself. I'm fine all alone. No, you're not. You're lying to yourself. You need a father because affirmation is creating a reality for you. When we affirm our children, we are creating the reality we envision for our children. 
for their character, for their future with our words and our action. Can I tell you this? Children are never indifferent around their dads. They're not. I've watched it through the years. I've watched it. Even if they look like they're not interested, oh, they're interested. I've watched them as their dad walk in the room and they straighten up or they slouch or they turn or they get excited, but they're never indifferent. They always do something when dad walks in the room. They always do. When dad walks in the room, something happens. I remember sitting with a young man one time and we were sitting, we were talking in my office and we were going through some stuff and he was sitting there and he was just like, he was swearing and I was just a 20 year old youth pastor and he's just swearing and he's just like, forget all this stuff, man, this crazy stuff, you know what I'm saying? And then I was like, all right, can, uh, can you go get your dad and bring him into the room? His, his entire disposition changed. He sat up in his chair. He said, sir, to me. I was like, who are you? Who just, who, who is this child? Everything changed. I've watched too, as I've sat in rooms with kids who, who, who would sit and they would talk with, with confidence to me. Oh man, yeah, I, I, I feel like God's called me. And then I'll call their dad into the room and they slouch and they cower and they're afraid. They're not indifferent. Your kids, you need, to, you need to open your eyes and wake up. Your kids are hanging on every word you say. They are tuned in to everything that comes out of your mouth. They are watching every action. They're watching it all. They're watching it all. Dads, do you know your kids try harder for you? They push themselves for you? I'll never forget this. I'll leave you with this example and I'll, I'll close in a moment. Just a couple months removed from Judah uh, finishing high school and uh, he graduated last month. And, but I think he was finished like six months ago, basically just kind of done. I saw him like at noon every day. I was like, why are you home? He's like, it's all good. <laughs> and... Uh, <laughs> Um, <laughs> but you did graduate, so all right. So it was, you weren't lying, you were good. But uh, Judah played basketball in high school, and uh, um, our, kind of our, our whole process together since he was a little boy has been sports, it's been athletics. I've, I'm, not the, uh, I'm not the parent who sits and does the homework. If I do, it's with Oliver because it's first grade, and that's... <laughs> That's about all I can handle. Um, but my mom is really the champ on that, making sure all of that stuff is together. And I've been sports dad, just kind of trying to encourage my kids and their athletics and working with them. And we've played basketball in our driveway countless hours and worked on everything, ball handling to dribbling to defense, all of this stuff. And so as he's growing up, my ideas and dreams for his life are lean towards athletics. And uh, he came to me after, after basketball season and um, he just said he wasn't sure that he wanted to play in college. And at that time, we didn't even know if he was gonna have a chance to play in college. Well, by the end of the year, he got two or three opportunities and uh, one really good scholarship in particular. And um, so I was thinking, this is, this is great. I can, I, like I'm picturing myself, right? I'm already in the stands. I've got the gear on. I've got the foam hand with the number one. I'm like, that's my son. His name's like on my back. And, and I'm traveling all over, following him everywhere. And this is like 
my dream. So when he comes to me and he says, Dad, you know what? He's like, um, basketball's a big commitment. And he's like, I don't know if I really wanna commit to that because I really feel like I'm gifted academically and I'd love to just focus on academics and focus on uh, my career. And I said, what is, what is academics got to do with this? <laughs> like, he's like, well, dad, that's the main reason you go to school. I said, is it? Is that right? Is that why? <laughs> he said, no, it's what I, it's what I wanna do. And I said, all right. And for, for a couple weeks, our relationship was weird because I just, I was heartbroken and I felt like, oh my gosh, maybe I didn't work hard enough. Maybe I didn't teach him right. Maybe, maybe I, maybe I failed him. Maybe I didn't spend enough. Maybe I, so I, I, I'm out in California and after one of the services I'm in, I, I go to the back and there's this guy I was looking at the whole time. I was like, I recognize this guy from somewhere. Well, he used to coach Division I college basketball in, in North Carolina, not for North Carolina. Their coach is still hired. This guy got fired, but he's, he's out in California coaching another D1 program now. But um, So I was like, I need to talk to this guy about my situation. Maybe he can say, maybe I can even get him to call Judah and be like, hey, you need to do this. It's a great opportunity. So I go to him. I'm like, hey, um, uh, how are you, first of all? I didn't jump straight in to like, my son. <laughs> That'd be weird. But um, so I said, um, my, my, my son, we, he's done basketball his whole life and got some opportunities to play in college. And he came to me and said, Dad, I don't, I don't want to do it. I want to pursue, you know, schooling. And I feel like I have some giftings and some things that will really, really make a difference for my future. And I said, you know, what do I say to him to get him to play basketball? Is basically what I said to the coach. And the coach looked at me and he said, you should be so proud. I said, excuse me? He said, you should be proud. Uh, this, is a, this is a good thing. He said, nobody knows better than I know. I've watched boys for 30 years of my life do this just because they wanted to please their dad and push themselves into something they didn't even want to do. But because their dad wanted them to do it, they pursued something they didn't even want. And they burn out and they quit. He said, but you should be proud. He said, because, stop, stop. You're not the crier I am. You're, you should be proud because you have a relationship to where he feels like he can tell you the truth. And I've, man, There have been many days where I've felt like a failure as a parent, but man, I felt really good that day. Because <laughs> I think I, the only thing I really want from my relationship with my kids is for them to feel like they can always tell me the truth. That's all I want. That's all I want. Will you stand with me? He said, he said to me, he said some other things. He said, he said, it's your fault. He did, he, it's your fault. He's not. And I said, but I thought I did everything necessary for him to have this opportunity. He said, no, it's your fault. You probably told him his whole life that he could be, do whatever he wanted to be. So why are you mad at him that he's doing exactly what you said he could do? 
when you leave them with no other option, no wonder they do everything in their world and life and career to please you because you made them feel like they couldn't be anything but. That's why you need a father. You need spiritual fathers. You need natural fathers. You ever notice orphans, when they find out that they're an orphan and and they don't really connect maybe with their family, one of their, one of their deepest desires is to find out who their dad was. Why? Because they're trying to find the person who had the idea about them in the first place. Because if I could find them, then maybe I could figure out who I am because if I knew who I was, then I wouldn't spend all my time in insecurity. Maybe I'd have some confidence. We look for our dads in the stands at our little league games. And when he's not there, our heart breaks. Some of you are in this service right now and you remember when your dad was in service with you and you remember when you were sitting by your dad in church and maybe he's gone now and you don't have that anymore and you look for him. My friend Judah, who I talked about earlier, he, he said he would, for years, he would just pick up his phone and he couldn't take his dad's number out of his phone and he would dial, he would dial the number, put the phone up, and realize he's not there. We need dads, and if you're here today and you have kids or you don't have kids, can I, can I encourage you to be the man that God called you to be? Mentor people, father your own kids, but take up the cause of the fatherless. Maybe you could adopt, maybe you could foster, Maybe you could bring in people that don't have any identity and any self-worth or value and you could speak value into their life because they need it. They need it. Third thought would be to work on your character. Put it in the right place. Put your confidence in the right place. Find a father. Work on your character because you'll never have confidence without character. You won't. The Bible says that Unrighteous people, they run when nobody's even chasing them. But the righteous are as bold as a lion. Proverbs 10 and 9 says, whoever walks in integrity walks securely. But he who makes his ways crooked will be found out. Proverbs eleven thirteen says, the integrity of the upright guides them, but the crookedness of the treacherous destroys them. Proverbs 22 says, the reward for humility and fear of the Lord is riches and honor and life. Romans 5 and 4 says, and endurance produces character. And watch this, watch what character produces. Character produces hope. You lack hope because you lack character. One of the reasons you're insecure sometimes is because of a lack of integrity, a lack of character. It's like this. You don't need to worry about being arrested for theft if you haven't stolen anything. But the reason people are insecure and they can't sleep at night very often is because they're afraid of decisions that they've made and the consequences that are connected to those decisions. And so can I tell you the best thing for you to do to start developing your confidence again, 
other than what we've already talked about is to begin to make right decisions today. You can't do anything about the decisions you made back then, but you can make decisions today that will begin to set the pattern for your future. Can somebody say amen? Amen, amen. And you gotta get rid of jealousy. Jealousy's killing you. James 3 and 16 says, for where there's jealousy and selfish ambition, there's disorder and every evil practice. Jealous people keep track of score like someone keeps track of stats at a basketball game. One of the best things some of you could do is just to just get rid of your social media. I'm not talking about a break. I'm talking about just delete it. Get rid of it. Because every time you open it up, you place your confidence in it. And when it doesn't give you what you want, you lost all confidence. You've lost all security. Have you ever noticed that you can start out having a good day and Instagram can ruin your day? Facebook can mess up your day. You just need to delete it. It's not worth it. Don't put your confidence there. Proverbs 14 and 30 says, a tranquil heart gives life to the flesh, but envy makes the bones rot. Envy is rotting you from the inside out. There's never a sense of security. There's never a sense of settledness. There's never a sense of stability. Why? Because of jealousy. It's rotting your bones. No wonder you can't stand. Your bones are rotten. No wonder you can't fight. It's because your bones are rotten. No wonder you can't take the hits. It's because your bones are rotten. God said you need to get rid of it now. Because what it does, what, what does jealousy do more than anything? It makes you afraid that you're gonna lose your position. Makes you afraid that you're gonna lose your spot. That's what it does. That's, no wonder, the most jealous place at a basketball game is the stands with all the dads whose kids don't play. They're just rotten to the core. Sit up there, well, if my son knew if my son was best friends with the teacher and if, 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 my, if politics, it's all politics. No, sometimes your son just can't play. Like, it just isn't good enough. Sometimes it's not politics. But that jealousy is making you talk bad about little kids. It's rotten. It's killing you. Can't believe that. You're talking bad about a 17-year-old. You're 40 years old talking bad about a 17-year-old. It's rotting you on the inside. Why? Because you're afraid, you're afraid of losing your place. Why do we get jealous when, when somebody, uh, when, 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 our, when our wife thinks somebody's handsome? Or why do, I get, why do I get jealous every time we watch a movie with Chris Hemsworth in it? Because I'm afraid he's going to take my place. And you know what? I wouldn't blame her. He's very attractive. It's just the fear. It's the fear. It's somebody's going to take my spot. And here's the thing. Can I tell you, sometimes people don't leave your life because you're not valuable. Sometimes people leave your life because you are valuable. They couldn't afford you. You ever, you ever get a dog and then take it back? That's terrible, isn't it? You get this dog, you're like, oh my gosh, this thing's great. Your kids love it. And then you realize you got to take it to the bathroom. And then it's like February and you got to take it out. 
And then you've taken it to the vet and feeding it all this food. And you're like, I can't afford this. So you take it back. And it wasn't that the dog wasn't valuable. It's that you couldn't afford it anymore. See, sometimes people walk out of your life because you're too expensive. And they didn't count the cost of being in relationship with you. It's not you. It's them. They can't afford you. You ever gone to a car dealership and sat in a car and thought, man, this would be awesome. I love this car. This would be great. And you ask, how much is this car? And they tell you, blah, 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 thousand. And you're like, okay, I'm gonna go over to the Kia dealership down the street. <laughs> Have you ever, you ever done that? Been there? Done that? Why? It's not that the car wasn't valuable. The car didn't, when you got out of it and you walked away, the car didn't go, please love me. No, the car knew what it was worth. It's like, you can't have me until you can afford me. Watch this. So many times people come into our life and they walk out of our life because they can't afford us. But watch this about God. He said he'll never leave nor forsake you. You never get too expensive for him. Loving you never comes at too great a cost. Ever. How do you know? Because he's already paid the ultimate price. Matter of fact, he overpaid. He's like the good Samaritan who took the man who was beaten to the, to the, uh, to the, to the hotel and he said, hey, listen, I'm gonna pay for it and I'm gonna leave a little bit of extra just in case he needs anything else. And then anything that he owes, when I get back, guess what, I'll pay that too. He overpaid, he overextended himself. God is never gonna walk out on you because you never get too much for God. Your sin never gets to be too much. God's never like, oh gosh, that's just too great a cost. I can't pay it. No, every time, my son, he covers it. He's an overpayment. Whatever you did, whatever wrong you did, however wrong you were, however bad you were, God says, I've overpaid for that. I'm never gonna walk out on you. So there's no reason to be jealous of anybody else. Because every day you wake up, you have the ultimate in your life. His name is Jesus. You have God as your father and you have the spirit of God. Come on, as your inheritance. Can we say thank you? Can we put our hands together and just bless the Lord and say thank you? There's no reason for me to be jealous of anybody. I've got everything I need in him.